millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A 57-year-old man is currently on trial in Belfast Crown Court accused of murdering two Catholic men. James Smith from Fourth River Link in North Belfast has denied murdering Gary Convey, who was 24, and 41-year-old Eamon Fox. They died in a gun attack at a building site on the 17th of May 1994. UVF supergrass Gary Haggerty, who was last seen in public in 2009, is giving evidence at the trial. And in a bizarre twist, a group of masked men watched proceedings from the public gallery on Monday. I'm joined by Belfast Telegraph crime correspondent Alison Morris, who's been following this case in court. Alison, first of all, you're welcome to the Bell Tale. What's this case about? Well, I mean, I suppose to say I've been following in court is an understatement. I've probably been following this for more than half of my journalistic career because this has been going on for a long, long time. You have to go way back to the Operation Ballast and the Loan Report and to the activities in the Mount Vernon UVF, of which... Um, Gary Haggerty was one and then in 2009 we are told that he had been accepted as a state's witness as what we would I suppose call in this neck of the world a supercross and at the time he was to give evidence against multiple people including two former special branch handlers we then had what I suppose that we call it the sort of Stuart Brothers supercross trial the trial into the murder of a UDA man um, named Tommy English and that was the first use of this new SACWA legislation in Northern Ireland. And those two witnesses were generally appalling. We have spoken about this before and there is a podcast on the Supergrass system, I think, that we did a while ago on witness protection and where these people are. And that failed drastically and therefore the, the, the um, Director of Public Prosecutions at the time said there'd be no more Supergrass cases unless there was corroborating evidence. And here we are sitting in 2023 and finally, after all these years, the trial of Jimmy Stewart-Smith, who is referred to in UVF circles as Jimmy Shades, is currently underway. It's been going on for just over a week, but on Monday was the first day that Gary Haggerty gave evidence. It's the first time he's been seen in public since 2009 when he was accepted into witness protection. He did some time in prison and then he was released and he is currently living in the witness protection system somewhere in England. And there is a court ruling which says that I cannot tell you what Gary Haggerty looks like, despite the fact that I have spent the past two days sitting as far away from him as I am from you right now, um, round in Belfast Crown Court, we can say what his demeanour was and how he's behaved and how he's performing, but not what he now looks like. 
um, apparently and we're not allowed to describe what he looks like nobody's allowed to draw what he looks like and because the site link system which has been in operation since COVID where people can um, tune into court cases online has actually been cancelled for this case so that nobody can tune on online and possibly take pictures of him or abuse that system so right now as I said two days into his evidence yesterday was a very bizarre day in court We should just say that James Smith 57 He's charged with the murder of father of six, Eamon Fox, who was 41, and Gary Convey, who was 24. Now, they were shot dead while eating their lunch in a car beside a building site in North Belfast in 1994. They died when at least 15 shots were fired from a submachine gun at their car. They were the only Catholics working on the site. They had been, uh, it's been reported that they had been shunned by work colleagues and were forced to eat in their car uh, every day. Now, this is a non-jury trial, Alison, and therefore... It's the only reason I'm able to sit here and speak to you about it. If there was a jury around there, we wouldn't be able to talk about this till it's over. But this is, I suppose, what we'd have called in the olden days, a diplock trial, what we now call non-jury trials. So the fate of um, Jimmy Smith will be decided by Mr Justice O'Hara and by nobody else who is listening to the evidence. There is no jury in the court. There's no one to prejudice in the court. Um, And he denies... Uh, his involvement in these murders and as I said that the Supergrass system was told it couldn't work without corroborating evidence. The corroborating evidence that the prosecution service claim they have in this case is um, DNA evidence and skin flakes that came from a jacket that was used by the killer who shot the two workmen that day in 1984. As you say, if this was a jury case, we would merely be telling people the exactly what was said in court that day. But I'd just like to add that Mr. Smith also denies the attempted murder of a third workman on the same date. That was an, another was man in the, in the car. Back of the car. He also denies possessing a Sten submachine gun and a quantity of ammunition with intent and with being a member of the UVF. Uh, but as you say, this Isn't is a ma- this 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 core of the case is almost a sideshow in this case because this is a supergrass trial. It's the last ever Supergrass trial that I'll ever report on in Northern Ireland because obviously we know because of the legacy legislation and what's happening with that, but also because the PPS deemed the um, Serious Organised Crime and Police Act, the SACPA legislation, that it wasn't really fit for the purpose that they had intended. I think they believe that this new legislation, which I think, and I'm just saying this off the top of my head, so if I'm wrong, no legal experts get in touch with me, was introduced in 2005. They felt that it was that it was really meant to be for use in sort of financial crimes and stuff in England but you know somebody somewhere decided that it might be useful in our legacy cases and in terms of getting assistant offenders to give evidence against their former colleagues it was given to a number of people Neil Hyde being one of them who had given information on the murder of journalist Martin O'Hagan the Stewart brothers who give evidence in the case of 11 people accused of the murder of Tommy English none of those cases one case failed after costing 11.5 million pound the other one never came to trial and the only one that's left is Gary Haggerty so I am fairly confident as I sit here to say that this is be the last Supergrass trial that I'll ever sit through, that I'll ever report on. Is it also the case that we're not uh, allowed to describe what Mr Smith looks like either? Well, you can describe what Mr Smith looks like. Mr Smith looks like he's having the time of his life. He's sitting around there smirking and laughing. Um, yeah, you can describe what he looks like and he walks in and out of the court every day. He's, uh, um, you know, he's, he's someone who is, has been covered his face coming out of court in the past but no he's he's you can describe what he looks like the reason we can't describe what Gary Haggerty looks like is because he's in witness protection we're talking here 
and we've talked before about Gary Haggerty and you've a lifetime of writing about Gary Haggerty, but there may be people out there yeah. who have no idea who he is. Who is he? Well, Gary Haggerty was a member of the very infamous, well, they call it the Tigers Bay um, UVF, but it was part of a wider UVF, the Mount Vernon UVF. For a lot of that time, it was under... Um, the leadership of Mark Haddock, who some people might recognise that name as well. He was another very famous police informer. And after the murder of Raymond McCord Jr., Raymond McCord Sr. made a complaint to the Ombudsman and Nulo Loan released the Operation Ballast Report, which confirmed that numerous people who were members of that unit who had killed multiple, multiple members of the, the community, most of them just innocent Catholics, um, that they were informers. Mark Haddock throughout that report is named as Informer 1. That report's still available online if anyone's interested in reading it. And there was someone referred to as and another informer. And that person was Gary Haggerty. So he was involved and actually has pleaded guilty to um, five murders as part of his deal that he made with the PPS. So he made a deal, he pleaded guilty to I think it was 202, 204 crimes, really serious crimes, um, all sorts of extortion, possession of weapons and all sorts of other things. But he also pleaded guilty to um, five murders. And among those five murders were the murders of Sean McParland. Um, and Gary Haggerty had told his handlers he was only a member of the UVF for a couple of weeks, a couple of days actually, when you think in, in, in those terms, when he was asked to go and move a gun that was then used in the murder of Sean McParland. He also pleaded guilty to the murder of Eamon Fox and Gary Convey, and that was by the fact that he's claiming he's not the gunman, but he took the gunman from what they had said was a safe house and we will come to that in a minute because that was one of the strangest days of evidence I've ever heard in my life. But he took him from a safe house in Alexander Park um, to the play park where they had previously cut a hole in the fence to murder Eamon Fox and Gary Convey and he was also pretty guilty to the murder of Sean McDermott and involvement in the murder of John Harbinson. Haggerty is a key prosecution witness here. Uh, that's the case. He is the, the only really prosecution witness apart from DNA evidence. He is the, the key witness in this case. He's expected to give evidence for three days. We're now on day two. His evidence is, uh, it's it's remarkable. Now, I have we're listened... Now on, just, just to clarify for any listeners, this is, we're recording this, we will record an, other podcasts on this trial, but we're recording this on the Tuesday. And that's the that's the day we're referring to So here. this is day two of the evidence. And yes, I will come back and update you when there's a ruling in this case. But right now we're on day two of what is expected to be three days of evidence. He had already outlined, the prosecution already outlined their case and talked him through some of his statements. And since Monday afternoon and all day Tuesday, he has been being cross-examined by the defence barrister in terms of his evidence that he had given and bear in mind he was interviewed I think it was 1,147 times to make sure that what he was saying that he could corroborate what they call the truthfulness of the witness because we've had failed supergrass trials they wanted to make sure that as a witness he was going to be reliable and credible and he's been interviewed and debriefed multiple times in safe locations, which I believe were like army bases or police stations in, in the north of England, um, over a long, long period of time. And it, we have finally now got to court. And it was interesting because 
we all arrived wanting to hear Gary Haggerty's evidence, to see what Gary Haggerty looked like, to hear what he was going to say. We knew that the victim's families were there and it was going to be an emotional day for them. But what I didn't expect was the very old school, I felt like I'd become back in time, show of strength, because that's the only thing I, way I can call, uh, explain it, of mass men who also showed up in the court on Monday. People sat in court masked. How is that even possible? How did they okay. even get in? I need to actually explain this to you because, you know, I know that people, I've had about 200 messages from people today um, and a lot of people, unlike me, don't sit in court. So they probably are just baffled as to what was going on or what wasn't going on. So mass men, criminal defendants and their supporters walking in and out of court with their hoods up and masks on is not an unusual thing because they try and avoid us because we stand outside the court, they see the media, they see cameras, they see photographers, they pull their hood down, they pull a mask up over their face and they walk in to avoid being photographed. But the minute they hit the foyer of the court, you hit a security uh, you hit a, a, a security detail of a number of staff. You have x-ray machines, just like in through an airport. Imagine you're going through the airport, you have to take your phone, a ring out of your pocket, you have to put it through an x-ray machine. You have to walk around, you have to then be scanned. You walk through um, an electronic scanner and if it goes off, then you're given a second scan. And all of this is to make sure that there's security in the court. So what my understanding is what happened on Monday is that these men arrived en masse, en masse. They walked past the photographer's outside. They got to that security situation to allow them into the court. The security in the court is done by G4S. It is my understanding, speaking to some of them staff, that they told them to remove their face coverings and their hats before they went any further, which they did. They then, well, not all of them, but some of them, put them back on again and came into the court. Now, the police operation for the first day of um, Gary Haggerty's evidence was huge. It was so big that when I was in the lift of the court, random strangers who obviously recognised me as a journalist were like, what is going on in here today? Why is there so many police? There was police everywhere. Um, bear in mind, you know, there is obviously a great security risk around this. It is to all intents and purposes, the UVF Supergrass trial. There was a lot of police in the court. There was police in the public gallery of the court. And from 10 o'clock in the morning until one o'clock when the court um, lifted for the afternoon recess. So we all raised, the, the judge leaves um, and people went for a break to do some lunch or to file some, some work. Um, until that time, I counted six people who sat in the public gallery just feet away from the victims of the two men who were murdered. Remember, one had six children, one had one, the partner um, of, um, of well, the partners of both men are there, the widow and, and the partner um, of the one of the men was there. Some of their children were there, their, you know, family, their support network, their solicitor was there um, and just feet away from them. I counted six men with masks. And when I say masks, they had like snoods or scarves pulled right up under their nose. They had baseball caps pulled right down as far as they would go so that you could barely see their eyes. And in some occasions, it hoods up over the top of the baseball caps as well. So you really couldn't see who they were. One had like a Union flag bubble hat on and a scarf pulled up over his face. Um, and like, I don't mean to try and make light of something that's a very serious situation. Bear in mind, this is a double murder trial. But one person sat with sunglasses on throughout. One was dressed, as I said, with a bobble hat and a scarf and a hood up. And he looked like he was literally going to scale the north face of Everest at any moment in time. While another one sat for the entire time with a pair of sunglasses on him in 
outside the court in the public gallery just and with police standing at the back wall, security staff standing at the back wall and the families of the deceased um, victims in this case just fade away. It was utterly bizarre. I couldn't take my eyes off them. It was distracting me so much from what was going on in the court because I kept thinking, surely at some stage somebody is going to come over and say, take your hat off, put your hood down or get out. And nobody did. And that went on all morning. Um, you know, if you went to walk into a courtroom anywhere in this jurisdiction, anywhere, not just here, anywhere in the UK, with a hat on, you'd be told to take it off. There's a protocol for being in courts. I remember many years ago on a really, really hot sunny day going into the court and I had a pair of sunglasses on my head and the security staff stopped me and told me to take them off. You know, you have to be respectful in the body of the court and yet nothing was being said. So what I do know what happened then... Um, is because I did ask the G4 security people and they says, well, we told them to take it off coming in, to put them back on again. You know, in our mind, it's a policing issue and I can see where they're coming from. You know, a lot of the G4 um, staff, they wouldn't be greatly paid jobs and, you know, they could very well live, other families could live just streets away from the people that they'd be telling to take their masks off. So the, the amount of police was there, I thought it was a policing issue and they should have had a word with them. So... Um, Padraig O'Murray, who is the solicitor for both the Fox and the, um, the Convey families, he, I know that he raised it with police during that lunchtime break. It was also raised with the Lady Chief Justice Office, um, Siobhan Keegan. And after the lunch recess, when the court started about an hour into those proceedings, um, Mr Just O'Hagan said that it had been drawn to his attention that some people were misbehaving in the public gallery and behaving inappropriately and that they were wearing masks or hats and that they would be told to remove them and if they wouldn't remove them the staff would remove them from the court and they would not be permitted to re-enter the court again. So uh, we went around today and they showed up again fully masked up walking past the photographers but behaving very well when they get inside the court. So obviously Justice O'Hagan's direction had some kind of um, impact on them because there was no masks, there was no hats. They arrived again, you know, over a dozen of them and they all sat together behind where Jimmy Smith is sitting in the defendant's dock in the witness box. We have Gary Haggerty, then we have the judge, we have all the barristers, senior barristers, junior barristers and the directing solicitors all in the court. But yeah, so we had them back again today, but today they were wise enough not to put masks on in the public gallery of the court. So I think that maybe that's that part of these proceedings done and dusted with and out of the way. Before I move on to what's been said in court, there's some there's another thing that has come up here that strands out to me. Mark Haddock and Gary Haggerty, both UVF members, both informers, both involved in this murder. They bought ice lollies. And well, sorry, I'm gonna, there, what Gary Haggerty said today when asked about that is, well, he said that another guy called Roy Stewart and Gary Haggerty bought ice lollies, that he was instructed and he had drove up down and seen them standing inside the Avenue shop, which is just facing the building site. And he had distanced himself from that. It was originally reported that it was Gary Haggerty and Mark Haddock. Two set watching. Gary Haggerty's now saying he was in his car and sort of doing circuits of the place, waiting to see what happened. And that another guy called Roy Stewart and Mark Haddock had bought ice lollies and waited to see when the ambulances arrived and everything else that arrived after the shooting. An, an incredible act of voyeurism. If we could move on to... And that's the incredible background. And again, we could make many podcasts and have many discussions on the various aspects of, of, of this. Um, but in terms of what's been said in court so far, 
I understand that the UVF knew that both victims were com- just completely innocent Catholics. So what we're being told is that they, the three men, so the two who died and the one person who survived in the back seat, the three men were um, targeted by what Gary Haggerty said was this site was being controlled, this building site was being controlled by the UDA, that the UDA were getting protection money from the um, the people who were obviously trying to build on this site and they had also then flooded the site with their own men who were working as labourers on the site. He said it wouldn't even have entered into his head that any Catholics would work, never mind Republicans, would work on a building site in Tigers Bay, given how the world was in 1994 and what was happening. But that the Mark Haddock and Roy Stewart had been given um, information from somebody who was working on the building site that there were... They, to, they were told, he said, there were there were three Republicans working on the site. Um, after the murders, it was, you know, became very obvious just from police reports and, and um, Gary Haggerty admitted himself that they were no such thing. They were literally just three Catholic workmen who were trying to find work. This was the only work that was going at the time. Um, they had been identified as Catholics. You know, they don't think they were having the easiest time on the building site, which is why they were eating their lunch in their cars. And he knew that it wasn't. And today we can elaborate, we can actually put more sort of meat on that today because today he said that after that shooting, when he went to meet his handlers, he said his handlers, who he has been told to call handler A and handler B, he's been warned several times not to name them in court, something that he seems very upset about, by the way. Um, He said that they told him, you're targeting all the wrong people. Um, And he had said, well, why don't you give me names of other people to target and if I'm targeting other wrong people. And he then claims he was given the names of a number of people who would be prominent Republicans. He was told in the court not to name those people, but I have already named those people previously, and it's my understanding that those people are currently taking civil action um, against the PSNI because of what was said in Gary Haggerty's evidence. He claims that their details, car registrations and things, were given to him by his handlers. Bear in mind that these people are not there. They're not given evidence, they're not defending themselves and also the PPS made a decision not to prosecute them. But what I've noticed in Haggerty's evidence is he seems really annoyed that he is prevented from naming these people. I think in his head, and you're trying to get in head the head of someone who, you know, goodness knows what's going on in there, but I think in his head he thinks that he was facilitated in doing a lot of this by them. His whole life then has now ended up, you know, having to leave his whole family behind going to live minutes protection and these two got off scot-free when he claims he told them everything he did. And today in the evidence, a lot of the people who he named, so the, the defence would have the, pros, the special branch files from the time. Um, Gary Haggerty repeatedly says that they're wrong, that they haven't written down dates or information and that Mark Haddock doesn't feature in any of them. He actually said today, isn't it strange I seem to have named everyone except Mark Haddock? And the judge at that point said to him, well, why didn't you name him? He says, I named him every single time I spoke to them, but they've chosen not to write his name down in any of those 1994 files because the same two handlers who were running Gary Haggerty were also running Mark Haddock. He is claiming that they deliberately have left him out of all the information that he handed to police, including 
information which was linked to one of the murders um, and all sorts of other information in terms of where guns were being moved not being moved. It's, you know, I mean, I think a lot of this is a bit of a, I suppose it's a bit of a busman's holiday for me because I've been covering these things for so long. But it is a really interesting sort of look. It's almost like, you know, you're you're lifting the shutters up and looking behind at what went on. First of all, in that very murky world of the UVF at that time, just purely sectarian, and he admits this. You know, he says that he was asked about, you know, the sectarianism and all. He says, I didn't hate Catholics, but I hated Republicans. But Mark Haddock just hated all Catholics. In fact, one of the, the standout pieces of evidence from today was that he said that after the murder, there was a, a murder of three people by the NLA, including one Trevor King, who was a senior UVF leader at the time, um, in the summer of 1994. And he said that after that, that they had information that there were 19 Catholic workmen who were going up to 19 Catholic workmen who were getting out on a bus out of Rathcool every day and they planned to kill every single one of them. But he gave information to his handlers. He claims there was a checkpoint put up that prevented that attack and saved those lives. Um, whether that was the case or not, who knows, but that's what he's saying happened. But you could see, and what the judge said to him was, because we were sort of getting into all sorts of, of detail that was probably irrelevant to the case, is he said, would it be fair to admit the Catholics working in places like Rathkill and Tigers Bay were easy targets? And he said they were the easiest of targets. He said in court on Monday, uh, in relation to the to the uh, Convey and Fox murders, he said it was pure sectarianism. They weren't in any way seen at the time as credible targets. It was just two Catholic men who went to their work and didn't come home. That's Gary Haggerty's own words. Yeah. And he also said something else on Monday uh, in relation to the accused, Mr. Smith. He said Mr. Smith was very unhappy after this attack. He was unhappy because he didn't get to kill a guy. He was sitting in the back who escaped uninjured. There's there's a whole... It, 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 is, it is alleged yeah. in court. It, that's what he's saying. I mean, he's denying he's anything to do with it. His defence, I think, is trying to say that... We haven't actually got to that yet, but they seem to be trying to say that Mark Haddock may have been the gunman. But what he said was that when the gunman, who he is alleging is James Smith, Jimmy Shades, whatever you want to call him, when he was running away from the scene, he either waved his fist or his gun in the air and shouted up the UVF. And as he did that, he slipped and cut his knee and he was very annoyed that he had taken the skin off his knees and also that his biggest regret was that he hadn't killed the guy in the back. He, what he says was, I didn't get, you know, sorry I didn't get the one on the back. Just And of course, just to point out one more time that Mr Smith uh, denies the charges. Mr Smith hasn't said anything, he hasn't given evidence, he isn't going to give evidence, but yes, he is He is pleading not guilty to these crimes and, um, you know, the the third man who escaped that. It's very difficult for the families of these people, they're sitting in the, the you know the public gallery having to listen to all this. Um, you know, it's, and a lot of it is, you know, if you ever thought that the peace process wasn't worth it, you only have to listen to what was going on in 1983, 1984, 1995, to decide my, no one would ever want to go back to that. I mean, it was pure sectarian hatred. It was the easiest of targets, as he admitted himself. Um, you know, it was Catholics who were, you know, basically working men, trying to go about their day's, their day's business. Alison, a man called John Marsden has been mentioned in court um, uh, by Mr Haggerty, I understand. Um, are, are we aware of any of any record or charges against Mr Marsden? Mr Marsden's now dead, but he did serve, I believe he did serve a life sentence. 
Um, he was known as Marsha. He lived in the house in Alexander Park, which was close to the scene. And so they had decided to use that as a safe house. So there was a, the most bizarre of bizarre evidence. So Hegarty's claiming that Mark Haddock told him to go and pick this guy Marsden up from his house. He told him that the guy was ex-military. He knew all about weapons. And the UVF had been carrying out attacks and when they had the the um, guns had been jamming. Now, bear in mind, this organisation was riddled with informers. So on some occasions, they were, the accusation was that they were taking the guns, their handlers, the handlers were tampering with them in some way, deactivating them in some way so that they didn't work and then giving them back to them so that it wouldn't put suspicion on the informer's part. So before attacks were carried out, a gun had to be test-fired. This was what he was telling us was the protocol for the UVF. They had to test-fire the gun in the presence of one other person. So he was to pick this guy, John Marsden, up and go and test fire the Sten machine gun, which was later used in the murder of Mr. Fox and Mr. Convey. Um, he told, he claims he told his handlers this, and he'd said to his handlers, I'm picking him up. If there's a checkpoint and we're stopped, well, then I'll have to say, I, you know, call the whole thing off, not go and pick up the weapon, not go and test fire it, and that'll give me more time to try and work out exactly what it is they're planning, because he claims that until the day of the shooting, he didn't know there was a plan to kill the two workmen, despite the fact that obviously he had helped remove a bolt from a part of a children's play park, which the gunman used to get in and out to shoot through a fence and kill the two workmen in the first place. So he goes to pick up John Marsden. They go and test fire this weapon on train tracks close to where, probably where Yorkett Station would be now, but around there. They test fire this then gun. He claims then that John Marsden, he didn't think had been ex-military. He didn't know how to put the safety on this gun. He didn't know a whole lot of other things with it. He had to tell him what to do. Um, So he then was given the gun. They were going back to his house the next day. So the next day, all of the people who were going to be involved in this attack, including what he alleges was um, Jimmy Smith, Mark Haddock, two people from Rathcool who were going to be the getaway drivers who were going to take Jimmy Smith away from the scene after the killing. They were all to meet in the house owned by Marsden because that was where the attack was to be launched from because that was so close to where the, the building site was. Hardy said that when they arrived at the house that it was like a squat from the outside. It was very badly kept. But when they went inside, he said that Marsden had drawn chalk lines of bodies all over his house and he had put holes in the walls and painted circles around them and put numbers beside them so his whole house looked like a crime scene. And he said that it was like looking inside of a lunatic asylum. I've also seen statements that were given to him during his debris where he talks about it was like, you know, you know, some sort of schizophrenic dream. And he talks about how when the other people arrived from Rathcool, one being a guy called Mark Gutsy Campbell, who was also now dead, died of a suspected drug overdose while this, before this trial ever came to court, that they walked in and said something like, are we sure this man should even have possession of a gun, never mind be involved in an attack like this, um, because of the absolute state of his house. Now, I have heard some strange things in my day, but someone drawing chalk lines of bodies all around their house was new even to me. This must be very distressing because we must bring this back. This is a double murder trial and it's the murder of two men who were doing a day's work who were both fathers and it must be very difficult for their, for, for, for their families. How long do we expect this 
case to continue for? Well, Hagerty's evidence is expected to be finished up after one more day. So we're on day two. So we have one more day of that. Once that is over then, there will be a closing up between the, the prosecution and the defence. And then what I would usually expect in these kind of cases is about four to six weeks for the judge to go away and consider his findings. So the judge will consider all the evidence. It will consider the truthfulness of Haggerty's evidence. And, you know, there's a lot of people that were saying, why are there masked men sitting at the back of the court? If I was able to see them, the judge was able to see them. Why wasn't something done earlier? But, you know, not to put words into his mouth or speak on behalf of a senior high court judge or a senior crown court judge, but the judge's whole focus in this case has to be everything that Haggerty's saying, his demeanour, every word that he's saying, the questions being put to him by the defence. He has to really establish, is this man a truthful and credible witness? And is what he's saying truthful and credible enough to prove the guilt of Jimmy Smith beyond reasonable doubt? And so, we, were, you know, I would say he was preoccupied during that incident yesterday. The trial of James Smith from Fourth River Link in North Belfast, who has denied murdering Gary Convey and Eamon Fox, continues. We'll speak about this case again. Alison, thank you very much. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.